This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, or I guess, after last episode, Brendan, I should say, you were joined, as always, by me. But kind of like, uh, you remember earlier in the year when the Mets had that issue, I think with Lindor and somebody else, where they were arguing in the dugout, and then they said it was a raccoon or a possum. I don't even remember what it was. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's how our listeners are going to be thinking about this. Like, oh, sure, Corey's mic didn't work. Like, (laughs) must be trouble in paradise with Corey and (laughs) Brendan. Uh, It was all true, though. I mean, if there were legit problems, I think uh, we would have no problem voicing those on air. That that you and I had personal issues. (laughs) Screw you, Corey, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Brendan is the tech-savvy member of this podcast and so when I can't get the microphone to work he is in a different city altogether so there is really not much to be done about that I mean but. like tech savvy is a stretch you're like tech illiterate like I, like for someone our age I, I'm blown away how tech illiterate you are I don't think I've told you this I'm gonna say it right well now. I aim to please so that is uh where we are but I'm here and we have really great stuff to talk about. Brendan, the Cubs get swept in a four-game series against the St. Louis Cardinals, who are going to win the second wild card spot at some point in the coming days. So they will be in the playoffs. The Brewers also win the National League Central this weekend, and the Cubs are um, not very good. They sit at 67 and 89 in fourth place, and we've got a series with the Pirates that means absolutely nothing coming up this week. So a really great spot as we uh, end the year's schedule at Wrigley Field here this weekend, Brendan. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, right? At least we have some positives in the last game or so. I thought the pitching, like Alisalai and Keegan, we'll get into it. I thought they looked good, but honestly, I don't even care at this point. You know, if you want to swept against Cardinals, if you want to make them win 16 games, like, so be it. It's like, it is what it is. Yeah, and uh, I went to the game on Saturday just to sort the of— The game. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, just to torture myself a little bit. You know what I was thinking about, and it didn't happen. Mm. I was really glad. Like, I would have spontaneously combusted had he hit a home run in that game. That was the one thing that I didn't think about before I went into it. Like, of course, you— When did you you realize that was, like— When he was standing on deck. Okay. (laughs) And Because, like, I knew he was pitching, and I was like, man, this is going to be terrible. You know, I know they did uh, some stuff for him— on Friday to congratulate him on his 200th win. There was also a nice video that was going around of uh, John Lester gifting uh, Wilson Contreras and David Ross a couple of nice watches after the game on Friday, I think. Um, as, of course, both of those uh, players caught John Lester throughout his career and uh, for Wilson Contreras in 2016 and beyond uh, when John Lester and those guys won the World Series together World Series, on the right, Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Yes, uh, but... I so I knew he was going to be pitching when I got to the game on Saturday, but I had not considered that. And you know, I saw him in the on deck circle with the donut on the bat, you know, the weight on the bat, uh, taking some hacks. And I was like, oh, oh man, like <laughs> I I did not think about this. And if he hits a home run, I'm gonna lose it. He didn't. Though. Well, thankfully for you, you're in the clear. That's it for him. Yes. Uh, well, going directly against us, which is nice. So yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, getting back to what we saw here, I, you know, the the one thing I will say is good or bad as the baseball was, it, it is always something. It does always feel 
a little intense to sort of say farewell to Wrigley Field for the year, and, and especially after not having been there at all in 2022. You know, the, the baseball was often bad this year, at least for part of it. There was some some fun times, some first place games that I was able to go to and enjoy, and, and the season seemed like it was heading in a, a different direction. Um, but, you know, it's always like leaving the game on Saturday. You're like, oh, all right, well, I'm not going to be back here for, you know, kind of a, a minimum of like six months or something like that. So uh, always good to be at Wrigley Field. I know a lot of people were there this weekend and, you know, just sort of uh, bidding farewell to one of our favorite places in the world. Yeah. For uh, Yeah, I haven't been at Wrigley in two years, man. Now that you say that out loud, like this is the longest I've ever been in my entire life not going to Wrigley Field. So crazy. Got to get back out there next year. Yeah, your your presence was missed. I could feel it in the air. <laughs> Screw you. Yeah, I could okay. feel it. Yeah, um, I, feel the you, I think you being there was the difference between them, uh, you know, staying in first place and and falling into I, the crater that they did. I mean, I think that's what it is. The, the, I, the facts are facts. Yeah. Um, so the Cubs, again, do get swept by the Cardinals in four games here, doubleheader on Friday. Uh, all of the games go very poorly, 8-5, to 12-4, to 8-5 again, and then 4-2 to two, the finale on Sunday. So we'll talk about some of this stuff, uh, but generally, you know, we're not going to break this down too much. But where I do want to start, Brendan, is a report from a couple days ago uh, that a contract extension is in play for David Ross, uh, the Cubs' manager. Um, He has one year left on his deal. So, you know, kind of the time where, uh, you know, we heard from Jed Hoyer, kind of a vote of confidence thing in David Ross heading into 2022. And, you know, the type of thing that as we just watched other situations with extensions that did not get handled and, and how that all kind of played out, uh, different with a manager, of course, than it is players and certainly star players, but it is the type of thing, if you are happy with the job that David Ross has done and you want him to be leading this team, especially as it takes on a bit of a new look going forward here, it is something that perhaps you would want to address. So I guess I'll throw it to you. I, we, I, I, I've wanted to get more into David Ross, and I figured we would wait until the season was over so we could kind of properly look back at, at the body of work. Um, but I guess, you know, reading this report, uh, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about David Ross? And, you know, how do you feel about him going forward with as uncertain as uncertain things are from a roster perspective? I like it. I don't really see an argument that's convincing enough against it. The body of work from David is hard to even get a good idea of what he's responsible for with the COVID season in 2020 and then this season when it all fall apart, fell apart because of personnel issues. But the one, if we're going to talk about his in-game decisions, the one area that I did appreciate his managerial style was earlier on in April and May and June, and he was more urgent with how he used his starting pitchers and his bullpen management, using those guys maybe too much, perhaps. I don't think so, given how bad the rotation was, but using those guys earlier on in the fifth and also working with Tommy Hadovy to use Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson in multi-inning roles successfully to the point where now those two guys 
our candidates for the rotation in 2022. So I really like that from Ross. What I also like from Ross is just his like overall attitude. You know, he he's a magnetic human being. I feel as if players do gravitate towards him and towards that energy. And so I'm I like him coming back. I was I was surprised, man, when I saw a lot of the replies on Twitter. There was such an overwhelming amount of replies, like, "Oh, this is stupid. This is such a bad idea." It's like. Because of what? Like maybe, like I'm, am I missing something here? But it it, it, se- it seems logical at this point. It has some continuity. We've talked about continuity over the years. You bring back likely most of the same staff from this season, like Tommy Hadovy and those guys. I don't know about uh, Anthony Iaposi. Um, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe he's not the one to come back. But of course, Hadovy is likely to come back unless something drastic happens. So I like that. Overall, I think it's fine. I think it's good, actually. And I like that Ross is going to be in the Arizona Instructs working with those teenagers and working with a lot of their recent draft picks. You don't see managers do that, Corey. So that might be a new trend for managers, but it's starting with David Ross, at least. And I think it just makes sense to bring him back for presumably maybe two, three more years. Yeah, I I think uh, I I agree with your kind of general sentiment. I mean, my initial reaction is I don't think that we have seen anything from Ross that I would say, you know, no, absolutely. I don't think he's a good manager. Right. I don't want him here anymore, right? I, I I don't think we've seen anything like that. I think, you know, some of the stuff that I don't like is, you know, similar to what you might see with any manager, right? Like we've talked before, you and I, Brendan, about how, you know, unless it's like really egregious mistakes or, you know, stuff in the clubhouse that is just all over the place, like, you know, manager's impact is not as great as I think we're led to believe or like, you know, narrative wise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've talked about that with like batting order too, right? Statistically, like unless, you know, in in their peak, right, you're deciding to hit Chris Bryant ninth. Like the debate between whether he's hitting second or third or something like that is is not really that big of a deal in the long run. Um, so at the same time, you know, would I say that I think Ross is an excellent manager, one of the best in the game? No, I, I don't, I don't think so, but can he be? Yes, exactly. Right. Can he be? I don't see any reason why not. I just mean, I haven't really seen anything one way or the other where I feel super strongly about it. Um, yeah. but it is worth pointing out, uh, that, he has had a very unique start to his career, right? And I think that also kind of informs, at least for you and I, why we don't feel particularly strongly uh, about it and why we would lean positively and think, yeah, I think he's he's good. I think he's doing a good job. And maybe we need to see a little more. You look at, he started his career in 2020 in a shortened COVID season with no fans, different rules, right, than when he took the job. When he took the job to be the Cubs manager, he's preparing for a 162-game season in regular National League baseball, right? And what he ends up managing is a 60-game season with a designated hitter and different extra innings rules, like a a sort of different game in a lot of respects, right, for his first season as a manager. Then you come into this year, and he's basically managing two different seasons, right? He's managing an extremely tight and high-expectation situation with a lot going on, right? Heading to the trade deadline, contracts expiring, all of this, right? Right. 
now he's managing a team of a ton of rookies, older rookies, younger rookies, guys that have never gotten a shot at the major league level before who have bounced around a lot of organizations and are way out of the playoff race. So trying to keep that clubhouse together, uh, both very difficult tasks. So I think, you know, like you said, Brennan, continuity is good. And you might look at it and say, well, he's got one year left, see what happens, and then maybe evaluate further. But at the same time, if you do decide to give him an extension, which it sounds like will come in the offseason, a lot of the quotes from Jed Hoyer talked about how he loves working with David Ross, uh, you know, and the progress that he's made as a manager, stuff like that, their workflow together as, as a president and a manager. Um, you know, you want that to kind of be handled and, and off of David Ross's mind and off of the team's mind, right? Ultimately, if you see things going forward that you don't like, you can always move on. But we kind of talked about this with the Joe Madden situation as it was happening, you know, like going into a year with a lame duck situation where a guy is is running out the clock basically puts a lot of pressure on things and it makes things kind of weird if they go poorly or or anything like that because you just kind of have that cloud looming around. So with so much change expected and from what we've seen of Ross and I think how Ross has handled some very difficult situations, right, uh, in these first couple years as as a manager. I, I'm all for this, and I look forward to, you know, seeing again, like, how he continues to grow as a manager, what he's learned from such a, a an up-and-down trying season like 2021, and ultimately, you know, what kind of team he's given. And, and I think if he's given a team next year uh, that should be competitive and, you know, has uh, more talent and more stability, uh, you know, certainly than we're looking at the roster at this exact moment, you know, then I think we can kind of get more into like, okay, let's see what he can do. Let's see how he manages. Things are a little more normal now. He's got this experience. Let's let's take a look at this. But I, I like this idea. I think we need to get back to the idea that the manager role is overrated. Like, seriously, I really do think we need to go back to that. Like, when Madden was kind of managing against the fringes back in 19, I think just the entire, like, Cubs Twitter world may have put too much blame on some of those decisions. But ultimately, this has been a personnel problem from even dating back to those days. When you get back a team that's so obviously competitive, the effects of managerial decisions are going to be minimal. Look at Tony La Russa this year, for example. They're going to win the division. Now, once you get into the playoffs, maybe then those uh, faults become magnified, right? And we'll see what La Russa does in the playoffs. But, but even with Madden during 2016, it was obvious what needed to be done. Like Fowler's going to be your leadoff hitter, Chris Bryant, Rizzo in the middle, and the rest obviously worked out with the rotation. So with Ross... If he's given the team, I have confidence he's not going to mess it up dramatically. And if anything, I like how he's going to be more involved in player development. That That is completely new. Imagine Tony La Russa or even Joe Madden, these older managers, going out to Arizona in October and November to be with your teenage prospects. You've I've never heard of that before, ever, to be that hands-on. So I like that. I think that should be applauded. And if we're going to talk about improving the developmental system, I think Ross being intimately involved in that 
is a good idea and worthy of a contract. So sign them up for two, three more years. If it doesn't work out, some of the in-game decisions, if they're competitive, then unfortunately, these managers are kind of treated like uh, those same types of fringe players who make two to three million. You just let them go and then you just move on. It's not that big of a deal to cut bait and pay the remainder of their salary. That's actually what needs to happen. It's, It's like a low risk, obvious decision. Yeah, and you know, again, it's it's not to say that uh, I've I've been pleased with everything, right? Like you guys have heard Brennan and I complaining about the lineups, uh, you know, earlier in the year, and and guys that were getting too much playing time, and uh, you know, some of the decisions I think early with like the starting pitchers comes to mind, you know, where some guys, uh, namely like Jake Arrieta, were allowed to kind of pitch through challenges early in games and things like that, but like Alzali wasn't always afforded the same stuff. You know, some of the the bullpen decisions earlier in the year, you know, getting like Dan Winkler and Rex Brothers into high leverage situations and stuff. There's always stuff to nitpick, but I've yet to watch a baseball season uh, from the Cubs perspective where that wasn't the case for many of the, the people that have been managing, at least in our lifetime. I mean, maybe Madden in 2016, though. Like, I don't remember being, oh, what, a, what kind of decision is this outside of like game six and seven of the World Series? But well, other are, than that, I mean, those like, are pretty massive ones. But uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, if you want to gloss like, over the, those, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, um, listen, but we, we applauded Madden for his uh, decisions in game four of the NLDS in San Fran that year, right? Most yeah. of the conversation well but I mean I just mean then eventually as the years go on then we did have problems with a lot of what Madden was doing on on a pretty much daily basis you know so and then you know you look around the league right and like even looking at a team like uh, the Yankees come to mind right now like the 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 trajectory of like Aaron Boone for example goes all over the place I mean a month or two ago everybody was calling for his head then they make them some trades they go on a run now they're you know holding on barely to a playoff spot and you don't hear as much of that chatter anymore right so it's all just to say that like a, a lot of managers all basically all of them have faults I don't know of a perfect manager or somebody that gets things right and I think Ross still has stuff to learn Uh, I think he's, you know, done some stuff, at least for me, that I don't always agree with or love. But I think the relationship that he seems to have with Jed uh, and the relationship that he has with a lot of the players, you know, you look at the fight that this Cubs team has shown in this second half with a a kind of like ragtag group that they've put together, a lot of guys with no experience and, and nothing really to play for other than their own personal statistics and and benefiting of their career and a lot of times this has looked like a team that you know has their stuff together right like they're they're not the best team and they have not won a lot of games but they've been in it they've been motivated they've been hungry they've they've kept their heads in the game often more often than not and I think that's a credit to Ross and like you said Brennan him going to instructs in the fall some of the quotes that he's given in the past like I think he is committed and willing to learn and try to get better and you want to see that. So I, I think I'm all for it. And, you know, uh, like you said, Brendan, you can always move on if, you, if you're not thrilled with it. But especially with where the Cubs are right now, I think you're much better off investing in David Ross and trying to help him get a better team and become a better manager in the process rather than yeah. worrying about that particular position right now. You've got it's, enough from a roster <laughs> perspective to right. deal with. Like, I think stability in the manager spot letting Ross continue to grow into the position is a fine way to proceed from here. But let's take a look um, 
aside from that, getting into some of the stuff we saw this weekend, uh, like I said, most of it was pretty bad. Uh, but we did see starts, Brendan, from Keegan Thompson, who goes three innings on Sunday. Three hits, one earned, one walk, and seven strikeouts. So I already know you're going to have some stuff for us there. I know he was throwing his cutter a bit more on Sunday, but the the strikeout number, the whiff number, really jumping out on Sunday. So that was good to see, even if it was just 56 pitches across three innings. He was on a pitch count, so that is why those numbers are both low. Uh, and then we also saw Justin Steele get roughed up on Friday in the opener, the day game on Friday. Five innings, seven hits, six earned, two walks, five strikeouts, which is is nice, but three home runs, uh, really kind of the big blows against him in um, 86 pitches across those five innings. So we've been kind of relentlessly paying attention to these two guys along. We did see Adbert Alzali this weekend. He had a really nice day on Sunday, three and two-thirds, two hits, no earned, one walk, and three strikeouts. So I'm assuming that the strikeouts and the whiffs for Keegan Thompson is the lead here of those three guys, but we've been checking in with you on on the progress of those three guys and, and what we've been seeing. So I will uh, cede the floor to you at however you would like to break those guys down. Keegan Thompson did throw more cutters in his start against St. Louis. That's noteworthy because when he's been a starter since coming back from Iowa and being stretched out, he led with fastballs, like four-seam fastballs. And he was using those four-seams over half the time. And then what he would do would use sliders and then a little bit of a, a sprinkle of curveballs and maybe once, twice, three times a game show a changeup. This start was different, though. He threw 56 pitches, 28 of which were cutters, 50% rate. He got nine whiffs with those cutters and 16 swings. That is an insane amount of whiffs on just 16 swings. So that speaks volume to either the stuff or the type of preparation he had against the Cardinals and maybe the Cardinals' lack of a scouting report to have expected that. But even when he's not throwing the cutter against St. Louis, he got three whiffs with his forcing, and he actually used nine curveballs, so about a 17% rate, against the Cardinals and got two whiffs. So overall, that was a, a really drastic change from Keegan and one that's that's welcomed as we enter now the last week. Uh, I love seeing that. There's a few pitchers in the league that have success with that type of strategy where you lead with the cutter. Some guys that come to mind are you Darvish. He typically throws cutters about a third of the time, around 35%. And that's his dominant pitch. He throws that pitch more than any of his other like dozen pitches. And then other notable pitchers who lead with their cutters, Corbin Burns, Wade Miley, Madison Bumgarner, Lance Lynn. All those guys lead with their cutters. Now, the difference, though, between the guys I just listed and Keegan Thompson is that Keegan does not have a pitch that moves the opposite direction, like a sinker like a changeup. He does show a changeup, but just maybe again, once or twice or three times a game. Corbin Burns and you and Madison Bumgarner and Wade Miley and all those guys, Lance Lynn, they have sinkers, they have changeups, they're a little bit more dynamic. So for Keegan Thompson, if we expect him to be a starter in the future, it's obvious he, he needs another pitch. 
And if he doesn't need another pitch, it's because that cutter is so good. And maybe that's going to be the case. Maybe he'll end up being like an average to slightly below league average starter and can get by with just a cutter, fastball, and curveball. Uh, His cutter does have 150% more movement than your average cutter, so it's possible. But if you want him to be your reliable starter in that rotation, I would bet he needs to develop another pitch. And the good thing about that is Tommy Hadevi and this pitching infrastructure has experience developing pitches that move the opposite way of dominant pitches, and specifically that sinker. All these guys have developed sinkers over the last three years. So if we go into spring training next year, I'm not going to be surprised if all of a sudden we see Keegan Thompson throwing sinkers. And if that's the case, then my interest dramatically goes up. And his potential, I think, as a starting pitcher should dramatically go up. I think it's going to be a really dynamic uh, pitch portfolio from Keegan Thompson. So that was notable. And then in that same line, we have Alex Alai. Well, so wait, Brendan, sorry to jump in there, but I just from from my standpoint, right, like I know where the, the, the Cubs are, right? We've talked about this a lot. And I do think it's a fair point to make that, you know, we've talked so much over the last few years about the Cubs' inability to develop starting pitchers and obviously the ramifications that has had on their free agent spending, their trades, all of that stuff. So, of course, you want to go into next year and uh, and have spots for one, two, however many of these guys, right, that we've talked about to kind of see what you have there. The only thing I would offer up, though, is like I like Keegan in the shorter role, too right? So like, I know you want to see what you have there. And if there's a a starter to be had, you want to do the work to see if you can bring that out of him. But like, you know, you see the three innings today. We saw him do this when he had success coming out of the bullpen in the first half of the season when he first kind of came up. I I, I don't, it's not even necessarily a question. It's more just me jumping in to say like, I, I do think he's a guy who can be successful in that kind of role and and just like kind of comping it to someone that we saw kind of similar to what we saw Mike Montgomery do uh throughout his time yeah, here sure. right like where sometimes he's starting but sometimes he's coming out of the bullpen and like having a guy yeah. that you know can go two or three innings um be efficient with those pitches and be you know and I don't know if like dominant is the right word, but give you, you know, really quality two to three innings is kind of like a bridge guy or a long man that that is also a very valuable role to have on the team. Yeah, it's valuable. I think the difference between Montgomery and Keegan is that you see Keegan Thompson's age, you see his uh, over the last year and a half now, the the pace at which he's developed. It's, it's a lot different than Montgomery. He was more or less a finished product. He had those five pitch types. Now that was that. We're seeing Keegan Thompson develop a brand new pitch this year with his cutter, and now he's leading with that cutter. So it's a little bit different. I think the the conversation between what we've seen in years past from like the mid 2010s. Pitchers is very different than what we're seeing now because of, you know, Hadevi and Breslow and Jacobson and all those guys. But I agree with you. If you're going to go into the 2022 season trying to compete from opening day, you you can't slot him in your rotation from day one. Like you just have to, in your mind, put him in that swing type role, that Montgomery-esque role as, as you describe. But I think you leave the room, the option open for him going into the rotation at some point with a caveat that he can develop more pitches. If this is who he's going to be, it seems like a low probability he's going to 
make it as a viable starting pitcher. And so for the Cubs' perspective, if you want to compete, you got to go out there in free agency and at minimum acquire two starting pitchers. You may need three starting pitchers, but at minimum you need two. And that means Keegan goes to the bullpen to open the year. If there's minor injuries or if there's rest that needs to be given a certain starting pitchers, then yeah, he's starting pitching depth. But I think he has the potential to be more. And the only reason I also say that with maybe more confidence than you know other fans is just we've seen these coaches help pitchers get new sinkers and develop new pitches. And I have confidence that King of Thompson is going to be one of those candidates. And I'm also a little surprised that we didn't see it maybe towards the latter half of this year, but the intention was different to, you know, stretch him out, extend him, improve that stamina. So maybe during the offseason, he'll end up actually developing that pitch. Adbert, uh, who pitched also this weekend. Uh, so I will bring you back to that. Alzali looked good. He led with his slider. He's looking different out of the bullpen by leading with that slider. Also, one really noteworthy uh, observation from him. This is his first walk since coming out of the bullpen uh, a few weeks ago. So he walked his first guy today against St. Louis, but he also went multiple innings. He got tons of whiffs again, almost got 10 whiffs. And I think the experiment of him going out of the bullpen may prove to be the right decision by Tommy Ottavi because he is getting more whiffs, he's not walking as many people, and the pitch repertoire has been indeed different. So whether or not that's going to translate to any type of changes when he goes back into the rotation for next year, who knows? But at the very minimum, I think it has potential to do that. And with what we've seen from Alzali, like he's not walking anyone at, at all. So that has to be a plus for both the coaches and him personally. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when he moved to the bullpen to kind of finish this out, we kind of wondered not if that was the best decision. I mean, obviously, you, you guys know we trust Tommy Hadovy and, and this pitching infrastructure to make those calls. Um, but like you mentioned, like you alluded to, Brendan, Tommy Hadovy said that they wanted to maybe do that and see if some of the pitches played up and have him get like the experience to learn with those pitches playing up, you know, how to generate whiffs, how to use some of this stuff as it's playing up. And then you kind of transition that into this offseason and getting him back in stretched out and and being a member of that rotation. Um, and and certainly I, I think we're seeing that. I mean, you know, Tommy Hadovy would have to be the one to really get under the hood and and tell you if that's what's happening. And, and of course, once we get to spring training and he's trying to go five, six, seven innings again. Um, but yeah, like as we're kind of able to look back on that with a little more hindsight, it it does seem like that that was the right call rather than him just getting, uh, as they said at the time, you know, one or two more starts before they would have had to shut him down. Because I think this is at least giving him some different looks at things, get get some different experience, um, and hopefully they can kind of again take what they're learning here, what they learned from his time as a starter earlier in the year, package it all together, put it in the pitch lab, and the version of Advert that we see in spring training and to start twenty. 22 is ready to assume that role um, as a you know mid or, or higher uh part of the rotation guy. So um then just wanted to uh touch on Steele from Friday. You know, again, a rougher outing for him, but he does go five innings, 86 pitches. Um, the three home runs, obviously not what you want to see. The Cardinals were kind of teeing off for uh most of the weekend. Uh, but what did you see from Steele? Any any kind of changes or anything in, in kind of the progress that he's making going forward? 
Yeah, it was not a good outing. The home runs he gave up were not because the you know, Cardinal batters like you know ambushed him or reached out of the zone. There were middle of the order pitches that the, the Cardinal batters just you know smacked out. He did change up what pitches he uses. You know he's been sw- he's been swinging back and forth with sinkers and four seamers and against the Cardinals he did lead with a four seam. So again, some uh, some of the same observations you see from. You know, Alice Eli, when he goes back and forth with a sinker and slider. For Steele, it's been sinker and four seam. And he didn't lean on his slider as he was most of his time out of the bullpen. And mostly since he's been a starter, he's been doing that as well. He led his secondary pitches with curveballs. And he did get 10 whiffs against the Cardinals despite giving up three home runs. So that that is encouraging. But the command needs to be improved. And he's still a work in progress, too. You kind of put him in that same type of tier towards the back end of the rotation. Maybe he's going to be an option for the five spot. Maybe the Cubs want more stability in their rotation. They opt for signing more guys or just giving Elk Mills the opportunity to start 2022. But at some point, unlike Keegan Thompson, I feel as if for Steele, he's going to get early opportunities. Uh, he'll be the, the sixth man, I feel, at the very least, with room to improve as well. His trajectory seems a little bit more rapid than Keegan Thompson, just because Steele does have five pitches. So because of that, I feel as if his uh, probability of being a successful starter is much higher, and it's just kind of a, a matter of refining whatever he needs to refine, whether it's mechanically or sequencing or getting a better feel for his you know, curveball or changeup or whatever it is. But yeah, he faced a quality Cardinals team who's extremely hot right now, who are not missing pitches, and the pitches that Keegan or that Justin Steele did leave over the middle of the plate, they were hit for home runs, and that's what happens when you face these hot teams. Yeah, it was uh, overall not a very good weekend for Cubs pitching. Uh, We saw Rowan Wick and Cody Hoyer struggle a little bit uh, this weekend as well after being uh, quite good for a good stretch there. So really just uh, one of those weekends. Yeah, you run into a very, very hot Cardinals team, uh, and they were pretty intent on leaving there with with four wins and, and locking up that second wildcard spot as soon as they possibly could. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't really know if we have too much else to break down in terms of the, the play that we saw this weekend or any of these guys. So I, I do want to go to, uh, Jed Hoyer's comments from over the weekend about this off season. So we've heard some of this before. So a lot of this isn't exactly new, but you know, when you hear this stuff, you do want to break it down. And what Jed said uh, was, quote, we plan to be really active in free agency. We plan to spend money intelligently. We're scouting that market heavily. We're going to analyze that market heavily. There's off seasons when free agency is something you do a little bit of. And obviously we have to be a little more active than usual to fill out our roster because we have a lot more open spots. We've talked about how the Cubs do not have very much uh, guaranteed money on the books. Um, looking at this article on CBS Sports, and it says, according to Cott's contracts, they have less than $40 million in guaranteed money on the books uh, for position, you know, for players on the, on the roster. 
And, you know, of course, you'll you'll head into arbitration. You'll deal with some of that stuff. You'll have to make some decisions on some of these guys. We've talked about a few of those before. Um, but there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of holes to fill. And if you want to either be competitive or even maintain the illusion of being competitive, you're going to have to make some additions to this team. Now, we also know that there's going to be some collective bargaining agreement talks. Um, you know, you hear, you know, people wondering if there might be a work stoppage, things like that. You never know. They're, they're going to have to get in there and iron that out. We'll see what happens with that. So that also affects things, right? Um, I will just say, as we've said many times, and this goes back to when we were talking about Theo Epstein in in this position, nothing that these guys ever say uh, to the media has to be true, right? They don't owe anybody the absolute truth. And I'm sure if you parse through Jed Hoyer's words, David Ross's words, Theo's words, Joe Madden's words, I mean, we could go back however long there was, you know, journalism and baseball together, right? I'm sure that most of it ends up not being true, or a lot of it ends up not being true, and some of it is just, you know, sort of spinning things positively, etc., right? But this is what he said, and I also think it is interesting, at the very least, for Jed to kind of point out the obvious, which is they're going to have to be pretty active because they have a lot of open spots, right? And some of this stuff doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to go out and sign great players or that we're going to be happy with what they do. But, you know, some of this stuff, he's going to have to do something, right, Brendan? I mean, this is just weird stuff to say if you're not going to spend any money. It's just an odd thing to deliberately point out like, yeah, we have a lot of holes on this roster that we are not going to be able to fill internally and then do nothing, which is something that, you know, some people expect or fear. You know, they're not really sure what to make of this. So, uh, did you ha- did this move the needle for you at all? No. I mean, hearing any of these quotes, or what do you nope. what do you make of this? Do you care? Are are you ready to just get to the off season and see what this actually looks like? Like, what did you take from this? I take absolutely nothing okay. from it. They they have, as you just said, like around forty million committed. Of course, they're going to spend money. But the one word that was odd was Jed said, "We're going to spend money intelligently." Like, like, do you want to spend money unintelligently? Like, what, what does that mean? That suggests, not to read too much into it, but that suggests that money is going to be spent with still that one eye towards the future. So does that mean they don't go all out on the budget for 2022? I would probably guess yes, just given where they are with their farm system and their current crop of players. That's probably the, the more likely scenario. But of course, they're going to spend money, even when the Cubs were at their somewhat lowest in that Theo rebuild. They went out and they attempted to sign Annabelle Sanchez for $75 million, and that didn't work out, and that got booted at the last second, and then they turned around and signed Edwin Jackson for $48 million, and that was during a time when they sucked, and they weren't even trying to full-out compete, if at all. So yeah, they're going to spend money, and they may end up spending around you know $100 million dollars. But that still not may not get you to the point where you're a competitor. Seriously, it may not get you to that point, which is fine if that's going to be the case. But when you hear your your president of baseball ops say, "Yeah, we're going to spend money intelligently," uh, I don't know if that's like the the biggest vote of confidence for 
you thinking, okay, well, they're going to try out and go and compete for 2022. They may try and do that, but your your definition of trying to compete might be might be different. I think at this point for me, my expectations are they are going to spend money. I think they're going to be around that 150, 170 million dollar range, but I don't think it's going to be on uh, guys who are going to make you know a World Series esque impact. They might be able to do that, but they need a lot of guys to go above their current projections for 2022. And that seems like the likely scenario. Maybe you get, and we'll talk about it exhaustively throughout the offseason, but maybe you get better performances from Wilson next year. And if Frank Schwindel is going to be your guy, and if you get Brennan Davis up earlier, and he just kind of has that Chris Bryant-esque rookie season, then of course anything can happen. But there's a lot that needs to go right. Of course, they're going to spend money, which Ed Hoyer said is not surprising whatsoever. And I think it's kind of funny that he says we're going to spend money intelligently, even though I don't really care that he said that. It's just funny that that's how he said that. Well, I mean, I I at least took that to mean, you know, that you're probably looking at short-term deals. I would assume they're staying away from most of the guys that have the qualifying offer attached to them, Um, you know, and not doing things that kind of mimic pushing all the chips in, right? So like, you know, this is not the time where you're going to be going for maybe some of those bigger, longer, massive contracts because you are intent on winning immediately, right? And so that's, I guess, what I hope that means. Um, And, you know, when you look at this free agent crop, there's a lot of interesting names. And, you know, again, you have to see what happens with the CBA and what all those terms are going to be and and things like that. You've got to get through arbitration, uh, make those decisions there. But there, there's there's a lot of talented guys out there, and I, I do think that, especially in this division, you can put together a roster that can be competitive and that can still allow you to see what you have in some of these guys and, and continue with uh, some of the development of your younger players and stuff like that. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I like you, I, I did notice the word intelligently, um, you know, I mean, we all know what that means. Fit in there. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's also just like, you would rather be like, no, we're going to spend money until we're content with the roster, right? Like not, well, we got to be smart about it. It's like, well, okay. I mean, like, listen, if you're going to say, even if you want to spend money and go all out for 2022, like you don't have to say that. And maybe Theo's a little that's bit more of a fair. wordsmith. Yeah, maybe Theo's a little bit more of a wordsmith with the media. But I mean, like, that's the most obvious, we're going to be targeting short-term contract statement I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, you've never heard anyone say, oh, we're going to spend money intelligently. So that that signals absolutely. They're probably going to be looking at that mid-tier market. But maybe some of those mid-tier guys do have longer contracts that bleed over to 2023. And again, maybe those same guys, if you hit the upper tier of your projections, can get you into the playoffs for 2022. So it's 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 all possible. Also, they need a general manager. They don't even have one. Yeah. So that's going to change their trajectory, I imagine, like a decent amount, even though Jed has ultimate say. But getting another prominent executive in that discussion room, I imagine, is going to have a significant impact. Yeah, and that'll be something to watch. Uh, Jed, I think, has said that they're, you know, of course, hoping to have that person uh, in November before the winter meetings in December, they do the general manager meeting. So obviously, you'd 
you know, probably, I mean, call me crazy, Brendan, but you probably like to have somebody to send to those yeah, meetings. It just so. seems like yeah. how a decent organization should be going about things. Um, but what do I know? And so he did say uh, when he spoke to the media the other day, Jed did, that he, you know, they'd like to have that uh, handled and that they would be, you know, looking at an external hire. So bringing somebody from outside the organization, um, you know, to kind of Good. give a new perspective and stuff like that. And yeah, that, that'll that be interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, there are a lot of very talented front office groups that have had success um, in different markets with different budgets, with different kind of player development philosophies and, and things like that. So that is uh, something to keep an eye on once we kind of head to the off season here in a week or so, at least for the Cubs, you know, they can kind of start looking around, having those discussions discussions and seeing what they'd like to do there. But yeah, I mean, we've seen the impact of a lot of the changes the Cubs have made to the front office over the last few years, to their coaching staff, to their, you know, developmental pipeline and things like that. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a big decision. And when you're heading into free agency, um, you know, that is generally who handles a lot of this stuff, right? Like it's not it's not always Jed Hoyer who's the one having these conversations and meeting with players and things like that. The general manager plays a, a really significant role in a lot of this yeah. stuff. So the fact that the Cubs have not had one is really not a good thing. And uh, it will be interesting to see where they look and, and, you know, just sort of like what type of person, what type of background, what type of attributes they seem to prioritize in what they're bringing over here. Obviously, we know Jed's background, and of course, he's been with this organization for such a long time. It'll be interesting to see what they bring in that that kind of uh, hopefully diversifies those thoughts yeah. and, and, and all that stuff a little bit. Yeah, I, one interesting note that he did give, and I think it has value um, to what degree, I don't know, but it is interesting. They're scouting current free agents right now with their current teams. So maybe they're scouting Stroman. Maybe they're scouting Gossman. Maybe they're scouting, I don't know, guys like uh, Starling Marte and those tier of players. And maybe that's common for teams that are out of it like the Cubs. I don't know. But it does uh, suggest that they may have a little bit more of a head start, which will allow Jed to clear up and maybe focus his efforts uh, elsewhere compared to what he's been able, compared to what he's done maybe, you know, in the previous offseason. Again, to what degree that affects anything, I have no idea. I just think that's interesting. Well, and so actually one one last thing before you preview this series here, it kind of ties in the last couple of, of conversations we've had uh, about David Ross and then also about this offseason. Um, you know, some quotes from David Ross kind of about the upcoming offseason and, and things like that. And David Ross said, quote, there is a component that I call guys like the jocks. Like, hey, this is how I see you. Let's have a conversation about what we need, what your role would be, how great it is here, why I love it here, and why you would be a great fit here. I think there's an element to that, that if the guy is on the fence and wants to talk to me or feels like maybe I could sway him a little bit, I would love to try to talk players into coming here for sure. Uh, Then he went on to say that he ultimately trusts Jed Hoyer in the front office and making these decisions, but he's available as a resource. So the reason that I wanted to bring that up, even though we were just talking about, you know, the general manager and whatever is I do think it it you know again goes to 
what we talked about with Ross, the relationship that he has with Jed Hoyer, the value he has um, having played here, now managing here, and the respect that he garners throughout the game. But I also think it was interesting that he mentioned kind of the jock example, because I do think that that type of player, going back to what we were just talking about with this free agent market, the shorter contracts, things like that, I do think that type of player is maybe not the only type that the Cubs are going to pursue, but I think it is a good example and and why David, you know, chose to mention that because if you remember in this offseason, you know, Jock had I think higher money offers from other teams, but chose the Cubs because they were going to let him play every day. And when you're looking at the potential pool that the Cubs might be playing in for some of these guys that are not going to command a five or six year, you know, $200 million deal or whatever it is, like you sometimes need to be the one to convince them, right? And and tell them why is this a better situation? And for a lot of these guys, if the Cubs can offer that opportunity, and you know, with Jock, it was a mixed bag, right? Like the 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 thing with Jock was that he was going to be able to play every day, and he was going to be able to hit against left-handed pitching, which was not something that other teams were going to afford him to do. Uh, not something that the Dodgers always let him do, right? He was much more of a, a role player, platoon player, uh, stuff like that. And so it isn't always some something that works, right? But being able to make those arguments and convince those guys and be open to letting them do those things, right? If you want this player, you've got to make a concession or two, right? Especially if you're not able to offer them the most money or you're not willing to offer them the most money, more like it. So we'll see if that's what happens. But I did think it was interesting that Ross said that the other day, because that does seem like the type of situation the Cubs are going to find themselves in, uh, at least with some of these guys in this particular offseason. Yeah, I think the ability for Ross to communicate is his greatest strength. Look at John Lester giving him a Rolex wash. Look at all the tributes players have made to Ross over his career. That has value. That type of word gets out. If a free agent wants the absolute truth about his potential role, just because of word of mouth, I imagine that Ross's words may hold more value than an average manager. I I can't have a name that comes to mind right now, but Ross is really well known in, in this business, even with executives. So that is the advantage of having someone with a highly valuable communication skills at at the head of your major league team. Like, I don't know what role that's going to play necessarily. If is, is it going to be a tipping point? It might. We don't know. We'll, we'll only figure out once the, the offseason's over, but that's Ross's greatest strength, and I think you have to have some type of, like, hmm, maybe that will end up being, um, you know, a, a, an influential factor in some of these free agents' uh, decisions this offseason. Okay, so let's preview this upcoming series. I know you guys are all really excited about this against the Pittsburgh Pirates, two teams that are out of it, two teams that probably are ready for the offseason to start. But let's talk about this. So first game is going to be on Tuesday. We have Alec Mills pitching for the Cubs. He is 6-7 and seven this season with a 4.83 ERA. He'll be facing Keller for the Pirates, who is having a really terrible season. He's 5-11 with a 5.96 
ERA. And then that game starts at 5.35 p.m. Central. They'll go back out there again at 5.35 p.m. on Wednesday. Pirates have not announced a starter for that game. Kyle Hendricks will pitch for the Cubs, though. Kyle on the year is 14-7 with a 4.81 ERA. And then to finish off this three-game set, uh, the last one against Pittsburgh, obviously, of the year. We have Justin Steele making his last start before the offseason. Pirates have not announced a starter for that game either. Same start time, 5.35 p.m. And that's it. Uh, what to look for? You kind of know the obvious ones at this point. Steel will be interesting. We'll see how Hendricks looks with that command. Didn't go into detail this episode. Nico Horner probably getting more starts at shortstop. Uh, had three hits against the Twins, but had no hits against the Cardinals. This series only started two of the four games. Maybe they are resting him to start the majority of these upcoming games. We'll see. But that's it. Let's wrap the season up. Uh, then after this Pirates season, they will go to St. Louis, Louis to finish off this horrendous season and maybe uh, play the role of spoiler. Although at this point, um, I don't might think be decided, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. It, it might be decided before that, unfortunately. But whatever. Here we are. Yeah, I mean, not looking for too much. I mean, at this point, you know, you want to see guys continue to have good performances. Um, you know, would like to see Frank Schwindel end the season, you know, continuing on a high note. Um, you know, Ian Happ, who's had a, a better uh, and hot couple of months here, you know, finish off with, with a nice week. Um, same with someone like Patrick Wisdom. And, you know, really just uh, letting these guys finish healthy, right? Like, you know, there's a week left. You've only got a handful of games. So let's just get everybody through, have, you know, some nice performances here in this last week and, and have everybody finish on as high of a note as they can as we head into what should be a fascinating Fascinating, if nothing else, offseason. It may be a lot of things, but fascinating is at least one of the baseline expectations I have for it. Uh, But I think that is all that we have for you. Um, Kudos to all of us, really. I mean, what an absolute mess of... This season has been a mess, but, you know, you just, like, the Cardinals sweep a four-game set to finish off the Wrigley schedule for the season uh, on the same day that the Brewers win the division. I mean, good luck to all of us, and and really kudos to us for surviving this season and, uh, you know, still being interested in baseball or sports in general because this is just about as unpleasant as most of this gets uh, when you, you know, invest so much time and energy into a sports team, and this is... uh, this is how you're awarded. So let's get through this last week, uh, and then we will have a ton to talk about. Maybe not necessarily as October and the playoffs roll on, but once uh, things are opened up and uh, we can start talking free agents and trades and all this other stuff, there should be plenty to discuss. So as always, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you in a few days when the Cubs and Pirates wrap things up. And as always... Go Cubs.